We're going to uh, only be in a couple of verses here. I'm going to read verses 25 through 36 when we get into this, um, to the end of the chapter. Um, it's in our series, like I said, called Made Right, because what we've been learning throughout this whole study is that we don't have the capacity to make ourselves right. It's Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again to make us right with God. And uh, you can enjoy a personal relationship with him, but it's not something that you have as a birthright, as uh, we've been studying, like the nation of Israel thought. They thought because they were Abraham's children, that just meant they had an automatic end. And what we're learning is that uh, it, it only salvation is made available through a personal experience with Jesus Christ. For by God's grace through faith, it's believing in Jesus Christ that a person is saved. And uh, Paul has been making that perfectly clear here. This morning, as we look at this, I titled today's message, From Blindness to Blessing. And one of the things that, that I've really been encouraged with in studying through chapters 9, 10, and 11 here is you just see the faithfulness of God even when we fail. And the nation of Israel failed miserably. Many of us can in our own lives go, man, I, I failed. And not, I'm not talking about just before you came to Christ. If you study the life of Israel, I mean, they're, they're, it's, they're, the life of the nation of Israel kind of looks like a, a heart monitor. You know, they're walking with God, then they're not walking with God. They're walking with God, they're not walking with God. They're walking with God, then they're not walking with God. And I don't know if you can relate to that in your own life. It's not anything any of us want to just, yes, that's me, you know. And, uh, but you find that, you know, it never stops God from loving us. It never stops God from working in our lives. That God has a purpose and a plan. And no matter what, it's not deterred because of us. And what I love about that is that we're just reminded that what? That God is faithful. That he who called you is faithful. That the gospel isn't about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about his faithfulness in our life. Amen. And so the apostle Paul will draw this out. And uh, as I shared, you know, in weeks past, you know, one of the, the main lessons that we take away from our study here in, in Romans chapters 9 through 11 is nothing. And say that with me, nothing. Nothing can stop God from fulfilling his word. And uh, oftentimes we think that. We look at circumstances, but, you know, what does Scripture tell us? We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? And we tend to just look around and we think, oh, it's just it's impossible, you know, uh, but nothing is impossible for God. And, uh, again, uh, I look at, you know, like I said, the bottom line here, you know, in Romans 9 through 11, you know, I've been sharing this with you weeks past. You know, when God says something, you know, that settles it. And what Paul is showing us here is that the nation of Israel, they're really, they're, they're proof of that very fact. He spends three chapters. Like I said, he goes over Israel's past that they are the elect of God, chosen of God. But yet, for the most part, uh, the Jews have rejected Jesus as the promised Messiah. And, uh, you know, again, that's their... Uh, their current state, living in rejection. And then here in, in chapter 11, Paul talks about, you know, the future of Israel. What's going to happen? You know, and, and we'll get into this today uh, with regard to uh, Israel's future. You know, is God done with Israel? And, and you know, as Jesus himself said, you know, that there, there's, he won't, uh, again, really in the truest sense, you know, we think about the return of Jesus, and he said, there'll be a day that'll come in the nation of Israel where they will say once again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And currently that's, that's not their heart. That's not, but their eyes are going to be open. And so there's still hope. And I, and I, and when I think about that with regard to the nation of Israel, and I, yet I look at where the nation is at today, 
That's going to take a miracle in the truest sense. But then you look around the sanctuary. I mean, in the true sense, aren't we all miracles of God? Uh, we were living in opposition to God. And yet God and his, his faithfulness, like I said, he's, he opened our eyes to the truth. Scripture says, you know, that the natural man cannot comprehend the things of God. And so it's why we need to be born again. It's why we need to be born of the spirit. And, and uh, so as we look at this this morning, we'll pick it up in verse 25. We'll read through verse 36 and just take a moment here and pray. And I'm reading from the NLT translation here. Uh, Paul writes, I want you to understand this, this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of the Gentiles come to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who uh, rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins. Many of the people of Israel are now enemies of God and enemies of the good news. And this benefits you Gentiles. Yet they are still the people he loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For God's gift and his call can never be withdrawn. Once you Gentiles were rebels against God, but when the people of Israel rebelled against him, God was merciful to you instead. Now they are the rebels and God's mercy has come to you so that they too will share in God's mercy. For God has uh, imprisoned everyone in disobedience so he could have mercy on everyone. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. And all glory to him forever. Amen. And Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that, Lord, as we, we look at uh, Romans chapter 11 and we think about the future of Israel, that it would bring us comfort. That we've reminded ourselves of that when we think about stories in the New Testament where uh, the, we think of the, the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son. Lord, that you would leave the 99 and go after the one. That, Lord, you would tear up the whole house for a single lost coin. And all those things to remind us that, Lord, if, if we ever went astray, Lord, you would come looking for us. Lord, if we were that son, Lord, that rebelled and sinned against you, that, God, you would never quit looking, never quit longing, never quit desiring, that, Lord, we would turn towards home. And that, Lord, when we would come towards you, that, God, you would run to us and embrace us, Lord. Receive us as your own. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that. You would work that deep within our heart as, as we recognize just afresh today that it's the kindness of God that always leads us to repentance. It's not your wrath, Lord, it's your love for us. And may that your love for Israel, even in her rejection or current state, Lord, uh, remind us just how loving you are, how good you are, how merciful and how faithful you are. And we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem today. We pray for uh, our friends, our Jewish friends that don't know you. That, God, you would open their eyes, Lord, and that you would usher them in uh, to the joy that we know, Lord, as Gentile believers, that we are saved by God's grace through faith. And not of works which any man can boast. It truly is the gift of God. 
And we bless you for that today. And we look forward to what you'll speak to us now as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I like there, you know, in, in some of your translations, you know, in verse 25 of Romans 11, you know, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, right? And I've, I've shared that with you. He says, in the NLT, he says, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery. You know, and it's always interesting to me when you find the word ignorant uh, in scripture. And ignorant just means uninformed. It's usually the areas where the church is the most uninformed. You know, Paul uses that word three times. One, he uses it here in Romans chapter 11 with regard to uh, God's plan for Israel. And there's many people in, in, the, in the world today that are ignorant of God's plan. I think of denominations. You know, you think the, the Catholic church, I'll share a little bit more about this in a few moments, the, those that hold to the, what we would say is the amillennial uh, belief, you know, the Catholic Church, the Presbyterian Church, the you know Lutheran Church. There's many, many more that hold to that belief that, you know, the promises that were made to Israel um, because of Israel's rejection, rejected uh, Jesus as the Messiah. That where you see in Scripture now, you know, the name Israel, it actually means the church, and, and I'll explain more of that in just a moment. But uh, Paul's saying, but I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be, you know, ill-informed. And then another area where the church is really ignorant today, I think most of us would agree, is spiritual gifts, right? Is that, man, people just get all sideways with regard to spiritual Are they, we have cessationists that believe that when, they, when John, the last apostle, died, basically the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased at that time because we, we have the word of God, you know, many would say. Um, and Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, you know, that uh, spiritual gifts are important. They're to be exercised in the life of the church. And then, and then Paul said, the only other time that we see in the New Testament where he used the word ignorant was in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And where he says, you know, he didn't want us to be ignorant with regard to what? The rapture of the church, uh, end times. If there's any place where the church is really ignorant today, it's with prophecy, right? Or eschatology, the, the study of last things or end times. And, and so here's Paul here going, I want you to not be ignorant of these truths because they are, they are so meaningful to us. I mean, we read this about the nation of Israel and we can go, oh, he's just talking about Israel. It's kind of like when you, you ever read the names in the Bible, like it'll have genealogies. What do you do when you get to genealogies? And, you and you don't read them when you go, but what if your name was in that genealogy? Oh yeah. It'd be like a camp picture, right? What's the first thing when you get a camp picture, right? What, what do you do? Who are you looking for? Yourself, right? Yeah, and so Paul, he's going, he, when he's sharing, you know, three chapters with regard to Israel, it's not just because he's just trying to go, hey, I just want you guys to understand some things about Israel. No, he's going, if God is faithful to Israel, who's been so unfaithful to him, how will God be with you? And, and not to ever get to that point that, you know, because we've been saved, because we've been grafted in as a wild olive branch, that we don't ever reach a point where we get haughty and start going, oh, you know, he's going, because wait a second. He goes, just as easily as he grafted you in, he could what? He could graft you out. Yeah. And so we need to be humble before the Lord. And so Paul, like I said, he wants us to understand, you know, that, uh, uh, again, there's a temporary blindness here, you know, and that's the ignorance that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 11. And it's due to their, their ignorance of Jesus being the promised Messiah and the fact that they rejected him. And so God tells us that he's caused a temporary blindness to come over the nation. And I shared with you last week, you know, that on May 14th, 1948, Israel was granted statehood by the United Nations. They became a country again. And at that time, there was only 23 Messianic Jews living in Israel. That just fascinates me. 
you know, and then now there's over 30,000 and you still go, eh, well, out of some six, there's like 9 million people living in Israel, 6 million, you know, a little over 6 million are Jews. So you go, that's not a lot, but it definitely shows you that God is still working. He's still reaching, you know, the, the Jews there, there's still a remnant there. And yet, you know, uh, what Paul talks about here, he says, you know, when the, the full number of the Gentiles has come in, you know, and that's in, in the NLT translation, you know, when that fullness, that full number of the Gentiles, and it's important that you understand that because people think, is the rapture a date? Is there a date for the rapture? No. When you look at this in Romans chapter 11, it says when the full number, that's what I love about the NLT translation, the NIV uh, basically says the same thing. Um, in the uh, New King James, it says fullness. And, and so I'd say the NLT has a little bit better rendering of that word here. Uh, the full number. Uh, so that's not a date. It's a number. There's a difference. It's not a date as in a physical date like today, but it's a certain number. And it has to do with the number of people. When the full number of the Gentiles, what that's saying is when the last Gentile that God has ordained is saved, then the church if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, the church is out of here at that point. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll look through that as we go along here. So, and then what will God do when the church is raptured out of here? Well, we'd say that God's going to turn his attention right back to Abraham, Isaac, and, a and Jacob, you might say, uh, to the nation of Israel, fulfilling his promise. But again, it's not that salvation, and we have to make sure that we're clear on this, salvation you know, has always been by faith. Abraham was considered a friend of God because what? He trusted God. It's when you and I trust God. It's not because, you know, we were, we, you know, we were born, you know, into the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by, you know, by birthright. It, it always is going to be by faith. It's always by God's grace. It always has been. It will always be that. And so the point that Paul's making here, you know, in reminding us you know, that God's not done. He's not done with the nation of Israel. God still has plans for the Jewish people. You know, in Rome, and I shared this with you last week, you know, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, there was a belief that was beginning to develop there that God was done with the nation of Israel for the simple fact that when the gospel began to go forth, it started where? In Jerusalem. We see in scriptures, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, right? So it started in Jewish territory and it was Jews who were hearing the message and it was Jews who were being saved. And then when we get to the book of Acts, we see that uh, Peter ends up going to a guy's house by the name of Cornelius. Remember, he doesn't even want to go in, right? Because Cornelius is a Gentile and Peter's a Jew. And he's like, man, I shouldn't even be at your house. You know, you're unclean, you know? And then remember, and he has this vision, right? They're at lunchtime of all times, you know? Uh, and he sees these unclean and clean animals coming down. And God says, don't call, you know, uh, unclean what I call clean. And so, you know, now the Jerusalem council, you know, they gather and they're going, man, something's taking place here. I mean, uh, what's happening is it's not a whole lot of Jews who are responding to the gospel. It's Gentiles. And then you look at, you know, today, I mean, like I shared. So in 1948, you have three or 23 you know, Messianic Jews living in Israel at the time. And today you have about 30,000. How many Christians do you have in the world today? Gentiles. Millions, right? I mean, what a difference, you know? I mean, and so we see, you know, just by looking at history 
God's word is so true, and not that we need that, you know, you go, but it's nice to look at it through that lens and go, yeah, God is, he is doing something with Gentiles, with non-Jewish people today in the world. He's still reaching them in mass numbers, you know, I mean, you, you look at crusades and I mean, it doesn't make any difference if it was a Billy Graham crusade or if it's a crusade in Africa or in India, you know, India has the largest uh, evangelistic population in the world right now. People are coming to Jesus in droves. I mean, it's just amazing the things with the gospel going forth to the rest of the world. And so Paul's making sure, you know, that we understand this, that, uh, you know, again, though the church is, you know, it began in Jerusalem and it's spreading, you know, to the uttermost parts of the world. Um, you know, Paul wants to make clear, and we shared that in verse one, you think, remember this in, in chapter 11, he says this in verse one, he says, I asked then, has God rejected his own people? You know, has God, and that was the question, you know, they see all these Gentiles getting saved and they don't see very many Jews getting saved. And they're going, so has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? And Paul says, what? And he uses himself, like I said, as, as the example, he says, of course not. He says, I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He's like, I'm living proof. I mean, if anybody, you know, rejected God, it was me, you know, and then look what God did. So go back down there and look at verse 25 then again. He says, but I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of the Gentiles come to Christ. And so when Paul says the word Israel here, and this is what's important, who's he referring to when he says Israel? Who would you say? I mean, he says Israel, he, is he talking about me and you or is he talking about Israel, Jewish people, Israel? Yeah. You go, yeah. Israel means what? Israel. Israel means Israel. Okay. I always, I always love, you know, pastor Chuck, you know, teaching classes on hermeneutics, you know, text can never mean what a text never meant. You know, but that's what happens with people. They start to then spiritualize things. And I'll share with you a few things as we go along. But why is this important? And I think about, you know, as a Calvary chapel, when we study the, the word of God, we study it from the grammatical, historical interpretation. What do I mean by that? So we read a text of scripture, right? We look for the plain meaning of the text. We look at the context of it. We look at the historical background of the text, you know, when it was written, who it was written to, the arrangement of the words and grammar, because that's important. You know, that's the beauty of, of, of looking at the Hebrew and the Greek language there. So grammatical, historical interpretation of the Bible, that, that's how we approach it. So uh, unless the text compels us to see it in some figurative way, then we look at the plain meaning of the text. Does that make sense to you? Because that, this is important, especially as we look at prophecy and we talk about prophecy in the Bible. And yet, but some people read this and they truly believe that God has rejected Israel nationally. And there's a name for them. They, they, there's a label that goes with this. They call themselves amillennialist. Now, millennium means a thousand, thousand years. An amillennialist, when we think of that, you put an A or a negative in front of the prefix there, it means no millennium. So what their belief is, there's no thousand year period. There's no thousand year kingdom, okay, of Christ's reign on this earth. And so if, if you believe that, you know, to me, when I look at scripture, that would be to deny all the promises of God to Israel and instead say that all the promises of God prophetically, and this is when you're an amillennialist, that's it's really with regard to prophetic scriptures, um, that 
they see them in a figurative language, language and not literally. But uh, all the promises made to the Jews in the Old Testament, they believe that they were forfeited because Israel rejected Jesus as their promised Messiah. And so now where they see the word Israel, they see that as a reference to the church. So an amillennialist, they believe the promises of God. They're not fulfilled by the Jews, but they will be fulfilled in the church. So again, uh, that we are Israel and God is not going to revive Israel nationally, which I think when you read this chapter, you, it kind of goes against everything that Paul is saying here. Um, they even say that the millennium is not really actually the millennium. It's not literal. It's figurative. You know, I always, <laughs> I always remember Pastor Chuck teaching this and about, you know, that Satan is bound at this time during the millennium, right? And he's in the abuso and, and, and he's chained there. And, and Chuck would always say, and how Chuck would laugh, and it would always be funny. He'd say, you know, if, uh, if, if Satan is bound in the abuso and, and he's chained there, and, and this is the time of peace on earth. He says, I just have one thing to say. He goes, I believe the chain is too long. <laughs> you know, the devil has way too much rain, you know, in the world. And he would laugh, you know, about that. And, and I, I believe that as well. But uh, all millennials, they believe that we're in actually the millennial kingdom right now. This is, this is God's time of peace on earth. And I'm like, oh, not, I hope it's better than that. And, and you know, and I, I would be really disappointed and like I said, how do they, how do all millennials come to this, this perspective is like I said, they spiritualize the prophetic texts of scripture. Okay. Uh, and the last day events. And, and again, what do they do to do that? They have to disregard what the plain meaning of a text. Like I said, as pastor Chuck would often say, he said, where the plain sense uh, makes sense, make, excuse me, where the plain sense makes good sense to seek any other sense is nonsense. I like what Vance Harbner wrote. He said, and I love this. He says, it's always easier to understand what the Bible says than to understand what somebody thinks it meant to say. Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever asked somebody, go, what does that mean? They go, well, it doesn't mean what you read it to mean. And you go, what? Well, it says this. Well, it doesn't mean that. And you just go, man, how do I read the Bible? I mean, it's like, do you like, you know, growing up as a kid, we watched Hobo Kelly on TV. Do I need those Hobo Kelly glasses to put on? And, you know, and it'll all of a sudden, everything will make sense to me. You know, at that time you go, no, if it makes you know, common sense, when you read the plain sense of the text and seek no other sense, you know, that's what, that's what Chuck would always say. Israel remains the people of God. You know, Paul could not be more clear on this. Okay. God is what? Not. He's not done with Israel, though he has caused what? Temporary blindness to come over them due to unbelief. Second Corinthians 3, 14 and 15, Paul writes it like this. He says, but the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their mind. He was talking about the veil over Moses. Uh, he says, so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. So Paul's saying, even, even to this day. Romans chapter 11, verses 7 and 8. Earlier, Paul wrote this. He said, so this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God that they are looking for so earnestly. A few have, there's a remnant, 
the ones that God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened or blinded, as some of your translations would say. As the scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes so they do not see and are closed and their ears are closed so they do not hear. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 19, verses 42 through 44. He says, how I wish that you of all people would understand the way of peace. He's talking to the children of Israel. He said, but now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. You know, what was Jesus predicting? You know, I shared with you last week, AD 70, right? When Titus came into Jerusalem and destroyed the city. You know, blindness has happened to them because why? Because they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They lost everything. You think about this. I mean, they lost their temple. They lost their national identity for, for 2,000 you know, plus years. They lost their land. But the worst of it all is they lost Jesus as their Messiah. You think about that. John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. Jesus said to the religious leaders, the Jews, he said, You search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Who gives eternal life? Jesus does. Yeah, coming to Christ, the very one that they rejected. He said, you refuse to come to me to receive this life. You know, I like what Skip Heitzig, you know, said regarding Israel's present blindness. It's kind of lengthy here, but I think it's worth the read. I kept trying to break this down, but it's just too good. He says, but God has preserved them. God has brought them back. He's speaking to the nation of Israel from captivity. He said, after 70 years in Babylon, back to the land. After a couple thousand years of dispersion, they'd been back in the land since 1948. The question is why? Why are they there and why do they keep coming back? Let me just say that if you study Jewish history, and you should, if you study Jewish history and you still don't believe in miracles, you're not a realist. What God has done with the nation of Israel is nothing short of miraculous. What other nation has ever survived as a distinct race after 400 years of slavery, after two total destructions, after multiple deportations, after 2,000 years of dispersion and a holocaust? Jerusalem has been fought over numerous times in its history. It's been destroyed twice. It's been besieged 23 times, attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times. Here's the miracle of, of Israel. There's 9 million people. If you ever go to Israel, here's what you're going to notice. It feels safe. It feels peaceful. The economy is thriving. It's robust. It's crowded. More and more people are coming into it all the time. But what odds about it, what's odd about it is you have 9 million people living in Israel today surrounded by 100 million enemies who don't want Israel as their neighbor, some of which want it completely annihilated. And there's bombs going off at the border of some of these countries to destroy it. So the question is, will Israel survive in the future? And why has she survived in the past? If God has cast away his people, why are they back in their own land? Could something be happening for the future? And I love that. And yes, is God up to something? You'll look there in, in verse 25 again. 
part B there of of, uh, chapter 11, he says, some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of the Gentiles come to Christ. You know, so you look at it this way, though Israel is rejecting, you know, the promised Messiah, God is still blessing. He's still blessing us by grafting us into the promise, but he's still blessing the nation of Israel uh, today in the land. It's a thriving economy there. You know, but I love this because when you think about the blessing, the blessings come to me and you. You know, through their rejection, God has opened the door for Gentiles to be saved. And you think about, you know, from the time of, of, of Jesus, I mean, up until today, for the most part, you know, God is dealing with the church. He's offering salvation, you know, to the world. You know, Paul, remember, every time he went to a city, where did he go? To a synagogue. And did they, did they embrace him in the synagogue? No. And so what did he do? We basically said he'd go next door, right? And he'd rent a house and he would open up a church. And he would proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. And the, and the Gentiles were coming in droves. And ultimately to the point that Paul became what? The apostle to the, the Gentiles. Yeah, he actually became, that's who he was, the apostle to the Gentiles. The Jews weren't receiving, you know, the, uh, the message of salvation. But, the, but like I said, you know, those that were in Rome, you know, they knew that they weren't going to, you know, ever inherit the kingdom of heaven through personal righteousness. They, they knew that, you know, they basically have lived as hellions. So to say that, you know, salvation was a free gift and that Jesus Christ died for their sins, man, that, all of a sudden that was appealing, you know, that it wasn't going to be based on, on works at all. And yet, you know, God is faithful to his promise. You know, what, what did God say to Abraham? He said that all the nations in the world will be what through Israel? All the nations will be what? Blessed because of you. Blessed. All the nations, and you think about this, and again, uh, this is astounding to me when you think about this. I read this last week, uh, this commentary on Romans, and it said this, have you ever stopped to consider how much Israel has blessed the world? So let me frame it for you. Of all the world's population, 0.2, 0.2, not even 1% of, of the world's population is Jewish. A fraction of 1% is the Jewish population in the world. And yet they've captured over 20% of the Nobel Peace Prizes ever given. They have captured over 30% of all the honors in music and science and in literature. If you've ever taken an aspirin, you should be mindful that a Jewish man by the name of Frederick Baer Bear aspirin is the one of the, whose pharmaceutical company developed it. If you've ever been vaccinated for polio, you should thank two Jewish men, Dr. Albert Sabin and Dr. Jonas Salk. If you've ever gone to the dentist and had your gums numbed and deadened so that you wouldn't feel the pain with Novocaine, you should thank Dr. Albert uh, Einhorn, a Jewish chemist. If you've ever had a bacterial infection and was given uh, streptomycin, it was discovered by Dr. Abraham Waxman, a Jewish physician. If you've ever, God forbid, been tested for syphilis, you can thank Dr. Snoozelin, who developed the, the Wasserman test, Jewish. If you've ever gone to college and studied the DNA molecule, it has two Jewish gentlemen by the name of James Watson and Francis Crick, the first developed the double uh, helix coil model of the DNA. And if you've ever been forgiven of your sins, it's because a Jewish savior did it. Jesus, our Messiah. And we owe so much to the Jews. Amen. I mean, and I can tell you this without any hesitation, you cannot be a Christian 
and be anti-Semitic. It's impossible, virtually impossible. Someone to call themselves a Christian and be anti-Semitic, it's in opposition to everything about what Christianity is. We owe everything to our Jewish friends. So Paul points, you know, here in Romans 11, Israel's blindness, it's temporary. That's the key. That's what he's saying. Until the fullness of the Gentiles. And what's a Gentile? Non-Jewish people. Us. Us. Again, look at verse 25 there again. You know, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will only last until the fullness, the full number of the Gentiles has come to Christ. In, in the New King James Version, I, I like how it states, it says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So what does it mean, you know, exactly? The fullness of the Gentiles. You know, when it talks about blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. Like I said, I love, you know, how the, the NLT translation puts it, the full number. It says the full number of the Gentiles. So the NIV says the complete number, the complete or the full number. And what's that speaking about? The church, me, you, us. Yeah. It indicates what? There is a number amongst the Gentiles. So people go, was there a date? No, it's not a date. Could Jesus come right now? Yes, he could come. It's not attached to a date. It's attached to a number. It says when the fullness of the Gentiles, when the last Gentile, the one that God has chosen, the last non-Jewish person gets saved, that God has ordained, guess what? We're out of here. That's it. So who is it? Who is it, you know? It's like, that's one of the great blessings of sharing the gospel, man. You could be, you could be, you know, leaving your tennis shoes. I mean, you always say that, you know, they're there and you're gone. You know, I mean, to think that, man, that's all that that's missing. That should be, that should be motivation for evangelism. Amen. I mean, we're just like, God, when's Jesus going to come? Well, when are we going to share him with somebody? He's just waiting on us in that regard, you know, to, to share Christ with somebody. Just, but just note, you know, if you're a note taker, you might write that down. It's not a fixed date, but a fixed number. That's so important. You know, when Israel rejected, you know, Jesus, you know, like I said, the, the church met together there in Jerusalem. You know, they're trying to figure out, you know, what do we, what do we do with these Gentiles? I mean, they're, they're coming in droves, you know. And, and like I said, one day, the, the last Gentile is going to be saved. And then, like I said, I, I truly believe that's when the, the rapture of the church, you know, that's what we hold to here at Calvary Chapel, believe that uh, will take place. And uh, at the sound of that trumpet, as 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us, you know, God will then do what? He will begin turning his attention back to the, the nation of Israel again. And this is where I was sharing with you last week. You know, um, if you've ever studied, you know, uh, Daniel chapter 9 and Daniel 70 weeks, and you wondered why, you know, it's put this way. There's a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. Remember the 69th week was what? From the time that the, the decree went forth, Artaxerxes to rebuild the temple to the time that Jesus, uh, you know, rode into Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey, that Messiah was cut off, that he went to the cross. That's the 69 weeks that Daniel talks about. But then there's a 70th week. And so you think, well, where, where does the 70th week, you know, there's 483 but, you know, he tells us there's going to be 490. So we're missing seven, this seven-year this seven period here. 
uh, as we study in Scripture there. And, you know, where is it? You know, and why is there a gap? Why is there a gap between the 69 and the 70th week? I believe that gap is me and you. It's the church. It's the church age. It's exactly what, what Paul is saying here. Until that last Gentile comes to salvation, we are in, you know, the 69th you know, week. And we're waiting when that moment, when that happens, the, the fullness of that time, this gap between the 69th and the 70th week, when that last Gentile believer comes to salvation, then that will begin the 7th the, the 70th week. That's when the tribulation period will begin at that period of time. So again, is it marked by a date? No. The second coming will be marked by a date. We'll know that exact date because it says it's a seven-year period of time. And at the three-and-a-half-year period of time, what happens? The, the Antichrist steps into the temple and creates the, what, the abomination of desolation. So you could mark, you know, three-and-a-half years from that point then to the second coming of Christ. But the rapture of the church, you know, Jesus coming for us, the, the Gentile, you know, believers, uh, those that have placed their hope and trust, Messianic, you know, Jews that have placed their hope and, and trust in Jesus by faith, uh, will be taken up, you know, uh, at that time. And so it, it's important, you know, that we, we see this, you know, that the tribulation period, if you really think about it, you go, what, what is the purpose of the tribulation period? I think everything that you see in the book of Revelation with regard to the tribulation deals with the nation of Israel. You don't see the church mentioned by name. You don't see anything with regard to the church. I've shared this, you know, people say, well, you know, but people are going to be, you know, non-Jewish people are going to get saved during the tribulation, correct? Yes. And they go, well, God's going to keep them. And I shared with you, well, it doesn't say that God keeps them. If you come to faith during the tribulation period, what happens to you? You die. You'll die. You, you'll, you'll be saved, but you'll die a martyr's death. You're going to be, you're going to be killed at that point. So it isn't God, you know, protecting us through that. If you, if you came to the Lord during the tribulation period as a Gentile believer. So the real focus of, of the book of Revelation, when you read it, you go, he's dealing with the nation of Israel. When he talks about the 144,000, what did we say? Those, those are Jewish people. And I always love this. People go, well, how are they going to know what tribe they're in? It doesn't say that they're going to know. It says God knows. Does God know what tribe they're in? Yeah, he knows. Because they go, well, we don't even know what tribe. I say, it can't be. You know, no, God, he's, he knows the very number of what? The hairs upon your head, okay? He, he's in perfect control, you know, of all this. And yet we look at that during, you know, the 70th week. You know, it's called the tribulation period. Or it's also called the time of what? Jacob's trouble or Israel's trouble. I mean, when Jesus in the Olivet Discourse, when he says, you know, that if you're, if you have to flee in the wintertime and he talks about being in where he, he names a specific place. He says in Jerusalem, right? And you're going to flee to Petra though. Those are real places. I'm not going to be there. You're probably not going to be there. It'll be the Jews who are there. The focus of God at that point during the tribulation is on the nation of Israel. That's what he's focusing on all the language, everything of, of, of revelation. It's not figurative language. It's literally, he's talking about the nation of Israel, 144,000. He says what Jews, right? He, he's, he doesn't, you know, and we think about, you know, the apostles, <laughs> we think about, you know, everything that has to do, even <laughs> matter of fact, uh, we have what coming out of heaven, a new, what is it called? A new Jerusalem, right? Yeah. The whole focus here, you know, back on the nation of Israel. 
Uh, when you read verses 25 and 26 of Romans chapter 11 together, you have to do this to really kind of understand the context of it. And let me read this to you in Romans uh, chapter 11. He says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of the Gentiles comes to Christ. And so all Israel will be saved. This is another thing that gets people tripped up. All of Israel will be saved. It says, as the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And, and again, even what Paul is, is showing us very plainly here in the plain text is that this has to do with the nation of Israel. We think about the in the end times, in the last days, you know, in the, during the tribulation period, the focus of God will be on the nation of Israel. And he says, and all Israel will be saved. He's quoting Isaiah 59, 20 there, where it says the Redeemer will come to Jerusalem and buy back those in Israel who have turned from their sins, says the Lord. So what is that talking about? Forgiveness and restoration. Again, the only way to be saved is what? Believe in Jesus Christ as, as, the, as the promised Messiah, Savior. Uh, verses 28 and 29 go on. It says, in Romans 11, it says, many of the people of Israel are now enemies of the good news, and this benefits you Gentiles, yet they are still the people God loves because he chose their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. Again, what did the Jews' rejection do? It, got, it caused God to set them aside temporarily, but they will be restored Ultimately, that's what Paul is declaring here. So what does it mean that all of Israel will be saved? You know, it, it's, it shows up that, that all of Israel will be saved 156 times in the Old Testament. And again, and it doesn't speak of all the Jews uh, throughout all of history. It always speaks of the Jews who are alive at one particular time, at one particular instance, you could say. That, that's the way that it's used. So what is that telling us then? So when it says all of Israel will be saved, he's not saying every Jew that ever lived. Uh, again, it's those Jews at the time of Christ's return who see him and receive him, okay? Uh, in that future tribulation period, the Jewish nation, will they will believe in Jesus Christ. Like I said, we know that uh, there's 144,000 Jews that will be saved, 12,000 from each of the tribes. They're mentioned uh, and again, uh, what's so important, you know, in this is again, Paul is talking about, you know, especially what's going to happen. You think about 144,000, you know, Jews that are like the apostle Paul. Can you imagine 144,000 apostle Pauls being unleashed on the, on the earth? Man, well, talk about evangelism, you know, and again, but that's exactly what's going to take place. We know, you know, in, in Revelation chapter 11, there's going to be two witnesses, right, who preach there. And what city are they going to be preaching from? Jerusalem. Yeah. I mean, a literal city in a very specific place. And the world's going to be able to see them and hear them. Is that possible today? Yeah. Was it always possible? No. So again, you think about, you know, how God fulfills his word. If you go online, like I said, you go to the Temple Mount Institute and you see the, the, the diagram for the rebuilt temple and all the ethernet and all the uh, capabilities to do what? To broadcast all around the world. I mean, all those capabilities are there. You can look, they've already, it's designed, it's ready. They're just waiting for somehow, some way, they truly believe, the Jews believe that somehow, some way they are going to get to build again on the Temple Mount. And it is going to happen again one day.
And again, Revelation, you know, chapter 11 tells us that the whole world is going to see it, you know. And what are they going to do? They're going to glorify God in a day that's still to come during the tribulation period. That blindness that's been on Israel, it's going to be lifted. It'll be gone. What a day. What a day that'll be. And what will happen? What will happen on that day? Zechariah chapter 12 tells us. Zechariah 12, 10, it says, listen, it says, Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. So who's he speaking of? Israel. It says, They will look on me in whom they pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. And you think about that, it's kind of an odd statement when you really think about it, to say they'll look upon me and whom they pierced. How, how can God in the Old Testament, who's a spirit, how can he be pierced? Hmm. He would have to become incarnate, right? He would have to take on human flesh. And that's exactly what Jesus did. They will look on me and whom they pierced. And they will mourn for him as for an only son. Think about this, that the second coming of Jesus Christ. Does Jesus still have his wounds? Yeah. The only man-made thing in heaven are the wounds in Jesus' hands, in his side, and in his feet. And they'll see them, Zechariah says, on that day. They will see those wounds when they see him. He says, and they will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. Why the tears? Why the crying? Why the mourning? Because they're going to recognize that he was their Messiah all along. And you think about in Revelation, then it always makes sense then that he will wipe away what? Every tear from our eye. Yeah. What a beautiful picture that will be. There's only one way to be forgiven. And that's through Jesus Christ. It's not because, you know, you were from Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. No, not your family tree. But he says, but they will all turn back to him. All of Israel will be saved. And people look at that and they go, ha, that's impossible. When you think about, look at the church today. I mean, in Israel, 1948, how many did we say? 23? Messianic Jews living in Israel in 1948 when they were granted statehood. 30,000 today. You know, and you go, how many Christians are there in the world today, though? You think about go from Acts, the book of Acts, and from Cornelius' house where a Gentile gets saved. And the gospel goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the other most parts of the world. You go, how many, how many Christians are there today? Billion? You know, you go, that seemed impossible, didn't it? Is anything impossible with God? No. And that's really, you know, the reminder, you know. I mean, to say that, you know, God can't save all of Israel, you know. How do we explain us? That God saved us. And when the nation of Israel, like I said, when Christ returns, they're going to receive him. And think about that for a thousand years, he'll rule Jesus will rule and he'll reign there from Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And the eternal state, when there's a new heaven, a new earth, the capital city comes out of heaven, and we call it the new Jerusalem. 
You think about this, you know, this new, new Jerusalem. You know, the walls around the, the, this kind of big old square city here has 12 gates, right? And on the 12 gates, what are the names? Yeah, 12 tribes of what? Israel. Yeah, Israel. And then Jesus made a promise to the apostles as well. Those that followed him faithfully, he said they'll sit on what? The 12 thrones of the tribe of Israel. Do you think that's figurative language? Or do you think it's literal? Yeah, it's literal, I believe. So I guess the question becomes, is God done with Israel yet, would you say? No, no. And you know what the good news is for me and you today? We read this. If God's not done with Israel, is he done with me? Is he done with you? No. And that's the beauty of, of God's faithfulness. He's the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. And so we pray for what? The peace of Jerusalem. You know, we pray that God would open their eyes, even if it's just one by one by one by one. You know, we never, we never quit sharing Jesus. Because like Paul said, he goes, look, look at me. I mean, who would have ever thought that Paul would have got saved, right? And he goes, if God could save me, God can what? Save anybody. And may it just encourage us, you know, maybe you think of people that you've shared, you know, the gospel with and you just go, man, Pastor Mike, you don't understand. I mean, I've shared Jesus with them, you know, 3,274 times and they just, they're just, they just don't want it. You know, don't ever give up. It's a great reminder. God hasn't given up on Israel. God's, God hasn't given up on you. God won't give up on them. There is a marked day, you know, in time. I mean, he's a God of of chances, right? He's the God of the second chance. But is it safe to say that he's the God of the last chance too? Yeah. Don't miss the chance. Because guess what? Today could be the day. Today, Jesus could, he could come back right now. Like I said, and I love that. You think about that. What problem do we have in this world that wouldn't be solved with the return of Jesus Christ? It'll all be better. Amen. So we pray for that. Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these chapters because, Lord, we can read them and uh, we can just so easily, like I began the service with, we can look at it like genealogies, like, eh, it's not really applying to me. But then we're just, we look at your faithfulness and we look at just how even through Israel's rejection, God, you're still working. That in that moment, Lord, when they rejected you, you turned your attention towards us. God, you're always moving. You're always saving. You're always reaching. And God, may that encourage us to continue to pray and to share and to, uh, to try to reach people with the gospel. We never know when, God, you might open their eyes. We know that's your heart's desire. We, we read that in your word, that you're not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so we pray for the nation of Israel today. We pray for our Jewish friends. Open their eyes, Lord. And for those Gentiles, for those non-Jewish people that we know, our family, our friends, Lord. May you use us, Lord, to love them. Lord, to share your truth, that God, we just wouldn't give up on them. It's just amazing, you know, what happens is we, we see again in scripture, the kindness of God is what leads a man to repentance, is that you didn't give up. And Lord, we love you for that today. Thank you for, for being there for us. Thank you for never turning your back on us, Lord. We love you, we bless you, 
pray that you would use us this week for your glory as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.